Well, good morning, family. Those of you here and those who are watching online, this is exciting. We're going to talk about this book. This book. It's the greatest book that's ever been written. It's an amazing, amazing book. It's, um, it's the most read book in history. It's it's, it's a best-selling book in history. It's the most translated book in history. It's, well, it's God's word. At least that's the claim. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says the word is inspired. Now, we hear that a lot. People will say, oh, that was an inspiring book I read, or that was an inspiring movie I saw. That was inspired because something uh, touched their heart, or they felt it, it sensed, sounded to be true to them. But that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about it's being inspired. The Bible actually uses a Greek word, theoponostos, which means, well, theo is God. Neostos means um, breathe. So it's saying that the scripture is God breathed. Say, well, what's God breathed? Well, right now you're hearing Rick breathed, right? Rick breathed is, I'm, I'm breathing, it, words are coming out because of my breath, through my vocal cords. I'm breathing words. Well, when it's God breathed, it's God, is, it's his words. They're creative, they're powerful. But what it's saying is the Bible is breathed by God. What God did is God used human beings in their personality and what they're, they're doing and made it so that everything he wanted to say came out through them. He breathed it through them. It would be evident in some cases that they knew it was God breathed. Some of the prophets, as they were writing prophecies, they might have understood that. Others might not have even been aware of it. But God was making sure that the scriptures were coming out as his word to, to them. Now, since it's God, God's book, it's God breathed, it's extremely powerful. In fact, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, what it means about this book, that it's still alive, it's still producing. This book changed my life and countless millions of people's lives. As I discovered the Bible to be, in fact, God's book, I, I didn't know God had a book. And I, I can't, you know, I, when I came for the first time and heard the gospel clearly spoken for the first time and I received Christ, I, um, I realized, I came, came to understand that this book was God-breathed, and I fell in love with this book. I devoured it. I still love this book. I devour it. It's my, my heart 
desire to know this book as thoroughly as I possibly can. Because I know by knowing this book as thoroughly as, as I can possibly know it, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I know God better. And that's why this book is so important. I, I want to talk about this book today. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore this book. Some of you, and I say explore it, not that we don't always explore it, but explore its authenticity to explore the, 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 so that we can have the ability, the confidence that this book is truth, that this book is God's inspired word. And some of you say, well, I already know that. I don't really need any more. I'm already confident that the Bible is the, you know, the word of God. I believe it by faith. And that's good. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be, to go, I believe the Bible is God's word, and I believe it by faith. But there are a lot of people who have held just that stance and have gotten in situations, especially young people nowadays, that they say, I believe the Bible, I know it's God's word, I feel it, what have you. They go to college, and someone throws a wrench in their belief in the Bible, they give them something that they don't quite, you know, they, 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 can't, they, they can't answer, they can't respond to. And all of a sudden it puts a little doubt in their mind about whether the Bible is God's word. And that can eat away and the, the, the enemy uses that in people's minds. I want to make sure that you not only believe the Bible because you have chosen to, but I want to give you, in fact, all the arguments for being confident that the Bible is, in fact, God's word. There's both external and internal evidence for the Bible. And we're going to look at both the external evidence and the internal evidence. I just read scripture. That's internal evidence. And someone say, well... The Bible says it's inspired, and that's wonderful, but what if they say, I don't believe the Bible? Why should I believe what the Bible says about itself? Shouldn't I, you know, isn't there anything else along the lines? And the Bible is, in fact, the, well, the most, you would have to say just, just by sheer volume that the Bible should be the number one, the, the first book someone picks up to discover where, you know, if God is real or not or discover God, it should be the first book because just by sheer volume. Last year alone, in fact, this is, could be said every year, um, the Old Testament, New Testament, par partial portions of the Bible put together, pack, packaged each year. Scripture, Bible, is sold each year, and the sales exceed one billion copies every year. There's nothing even close. Not even close. It's the number one book. So if it is a book that has for, you know, two centuries, pretty much, I mean, been the, the number one book, 
then why wouldn't someone at least read it once? I've had people tell me, I don't believe the Bible. I don't trust it. They'll tell me something like, it has a lot of errors in it. And I'll ask the question, have you ever read the Bible all the way through? 99% of the time, the answer is no. Haven't read the Bible all the way through. So you're making judgment on a book that you haven't read. And, and, uh, and you're pretty confident in that. Well, they shouldn't be. The Bible, and, and we're going to talk about a lot. We're going to talk about elements of the Bible. And why we can trust the Bible. There isn't one specific thing. There, there are some things that are so strong that it's really hard to kind of ignore. For instance, one quarter of the Bible is prophecy. The majority of the prophecy in the Bible has already been fulfilled. So it's, it's, it's prophets writing down in writing things that are going to happen in the future. Sometimes it was decades, sometimes it was centuries in the future in which there are certain elements, certain things going to happen in a certain way and very detailed and they happen. I mean, that's pretty strong evidence. There is historical evidence. There's manuscript evidence. There's scientific evidence. We're going to look at all of these. But as... Um, as, as one um, homicide investigator, in fact, Jay Warner Wallace, who is one of the, in the last two decades, been one of the most known homicide investigators in the country, he said this, when a large quantity of evidence points to the same suspect, the cumulative impact of this evidence can be powerful. Many of the individual facts and evidence may seem unimportant or trivial on their own. But when assembled as a set, their collective weight becomes unbearable. It can be said of the Bible that way. As we look at these, at the collective, as we look at each individual and as it builds the argument for the Bible to be the inspired word of God and the book that you can trust in your life, you'll see that it's kind of like, well, murder by a, a thousand paper cuts. It just, it keeps coming at you. Today, we're going to take a look at, is the Bible true? We're going to take, take a look at, uh, is the Bible accurate historically? Is it accurate Historically, Psalms 33 and verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. All his work is done in truth. If the Bible is not historically accurate, then of course you couldn't take it as God's word, because God only speaks truth. But as we study the Bible and compare it to accepted history, the events surrounding the teachings of the Bible have all been well established historically. When, when there is a wide documentation, corruption, and they're cross-checked, the Bible is not bad history. In fact, the Bible is not just good history. It has been proven to be outstanding 
history. Not only does the Bible pass the muster with regard to dates and geography and people and storylines that it references, but oftentimes information in the Bible that secular historians once disputed and thought to be inaccurate compared with their sense of his history, the biblical account proved to be the more accurate of the final analysis. Now, what I'm going to do, what we're going to do today, is we're going to do kind of a reference message today. And so I want you to be able to just kind of calm down. If you're, if you're an avid you know, note taker, you feel free to do that. But I don't want you to have to try to, you know, sometimes we, we think we need to remember everything that's brought at you. I'm going to bring a bunch of things at you over the next couple days. I mean, a couple weeks. I'm going to bring some, some things at you. And what I really am looking for is that you, like, look at the overwhelming evidence of what we're trying to show you and prove, and then you come to the conclusion that that is actually true. What, what I want you to come to the conclusion to, right, as we go through it, is that the Bible is historically accurate. That's, the, that's, that's where we're headed today in this. And there's so many other, like I said, we'll hit the, the science issues, we'll hit the, the, the issues of, of, uh, of accuracy, of, of translation, we're going to hit, we're gonna hit um, you know, all the issues that relate to the Bible where maybe critics come and, uh, and try to tear it apart. So maybe some of the questions that you have heard uh, you know, from others and don't have an answer for. So I want you to kind of relax in it. I'm going to give you more than you're going to probably be able to remember. So just relax and just take in what there is, you know, what, what, what is coming your way. I, I, I want to start with the proof through archaeology. Bible, Bible theologians, Bible scholars love archaeology. Bible historians love, love archaeology. And for a good reason. Archaeology over and over and over again supports the historical accuracy of the Bible. And, it, and, and, there's, and, and there's so much, there's thousands, and I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you enough, probably more than you want. But I want to just show you some things. Just in general, things like, for instance, Paul, when he was in the theater in Athens, there was a, a riot that take, take place in Scripture. And the, 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 the archaeologists dig up the, the findings of that and found it to be true. The, um, the, the pool of Shalom, where the blind man, you know, where the, the lame man was healed and, the, and so forth. You, have, you can go there. Actually, we have gone there. And we're going to go again uh, in, in next year. We're going to go to Israel and we'll see the Pool of Shalom. We'll see these places. Herod's Temple Mount. Um, for instance, the Book of Acts. The, there's so much. The Bible is filled with history. Like just in the Book of Acts, Luke records 54 cities, 39 countries, 9 different islands. And they all have proved out to be right. Accurate. See, so one of the great things about 
how archaeology works in the Bible is how again and again it shows how accurate the Bible is, more accurate than our ideas of history. Um, for instance, for, for many years, for, 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 for many centuries, um, the, 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 the scholars, and when I use that, I'm, I'm, referring to the, I'm, I'm referring to the liberal scholars and, um, and, and uh, atheist scholars, and in archaeology itself, when we use the, that term, there's Christian archaeologists, there's agnostic archaeologists, there's atheistic archaeologists. And so people come with different perspective as they come. But, but what we see is that the Bible keeps disproving those who don't believe it to be accurate. And an archaeologist would come if they're, they're you know, and, and if they don't take, and this is which is kind of strange... If they look at someone who has written history in the ancient world, they'll take it as maybe not perfect, but they'll take it as a historical writing. Oftentimes, liberal archaeologists don't even take the Bible as a reference point at all. So they come at everything like the Bible doesn't exist. And when you do that, well, you're going to kind of have to put things together. And if you don't find anything to support, you know, any idea because there's no reference to it, you, don't, you won't even acknowledge it. For instance, there was no archaeological finding that proved that Solomon existed. The, the biblical account of Solomon is very clear, the temple and all of that, but there were archaeologists for years who didn't believe it. There were liberal uh, scholars who did not believe it. They said this. They said that that. There were no horses because it, the, the Bible says that Solomon had a thousand horses. He had chariots and horses. And they said, well, in the, the time of what the Bible says Solomon lived, they didn't have horses. They only had camels. There were no horses in those days. And so Solomon didn't exist. We have no, no proof of that and we do not believe it. Um, well, except the archaeologists eventually got to doing some, some uh, research in Megiddo, the valley, and they found the place of Solomon. They found his chariot site, and they found thousands of stables of horses. Oops. <laughs> For centuries, they said there was... The, the Bible talks about an empire called the Hittites. And they said, well, the Hittites don't exist. We have no, the, no, no, nothing to support that. The Bible's wrong. They just made this up. The Bible just made up these stories about the Hittites. So for hundreds of years, they, they spouted that um, to try to uh, undermine the Bible. And, uh, <clears throat> and so, but... Hugo Winkler discovered, he found the place of the Hittite capital and found 10,000 clay tablets about the Hittite kingdom. Now, everyone, everyone believes in the Hittites. 
over and over again to confirm the Bible. There's all kinds of these. And what I want to do is quickly, I want to just show you some findings. And this is what we're discovering. That archaeology not only is showing proof and complete, it's making, it's, it's making um, liberal scholars um, very nervous about saying anything. Because they keep finding things that disprove what they're saying. And they don't want to be embarrassed. But archaeology is expanding. And, and what we're, we're seeing is every year now, because since Israel became a nation, of course, the, there's been advancement in the archaeology that goes on in the Holy Land. And now what we're discovering is things are being found in rapid pace. And, and I'm going to show you in a, in a minute some of the things that were just found last year that keep saying to those poor, uh, th those, th those poor scholars who, um, who are not believing the Bible that, um, well, maybe they ought to catch up. Let me give you a couple. Assyrian inscriptions were found in Nineveh that helped with the chronology of the kings and the chronicles. And what we know about that is these Assyrian inscriptions um, gave us the timeline that we already had in, in, uh, in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles to align the timetable. Because liberal scholars have done this. And I just want to um, just, just kind of give you a little bit of, of a groundwork on this. Liberal scholars will, what they'll do is they make a, they, they've changed a time frame. If they can't change the event, they can't disprove the event, they will try, and I'm just, uh, there's a small group of these that are doing it intentionally. Others are kind of following along. But they'll try to change the time frame so that it undermines at least the time frame of the Bible. Because if, if you can say, you know, this happened in such and such a time because the Bible says so, and they say, no, it didn't happen for two or three centuries later, well, then they under, it undermines the Bible and it gives them this sense that, see, our history is more accurate than the Bible. It's not a good way to go. It hasn't been working very well lately. Um, but anyhow, this finding helped give that time frame at least the first and second chronicles. Then there's a cylinder, um, the, there's, a, there's a cypress cylinder. It was discovered in 1879, and it contains um, the declaration by Cyrus, the great, you know, Cyrus the Great, allowing people... Uh, captured by the Babylonians to return to their homeland and rebuild the temples to their gods. In, in up, uh, up until this, this time, this finding, skept uh, skeptics used to scoff. And what they would say is, no king in that time would have let their captives go free, like the Bible says. The Bible says Cyrus told, you know, Cyrus gave the the uh, the freedom to the to the Jews to take the articles and go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple. We know that the Bible tells us that that that's the case. 
Well, what happened is that they said no, no king would do that until they found the cylinder. The, 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 the Cyrus cylinder is, is, is proof that what the Bible says about Cyrus is true. Historical fact. Egg on your face if you said it didn't, it wouldn't happen. There's a Mirita steel. It's a 10-foot-tall inscription monument. It's the oldest known biblical reference to the nation of Israel. Uh, it's, it's the Egyptian pharaoh, Merneptah Steele, stated this. Israel is wasted. Its seed is, is, is not. Israel is wasted. Its seed is not. In other words, we, we kind of destroyed Israel, but they're still, they're still there. Um, actually, it didn't happen that way. Israel was, survived another 600 years. But he, wrote, he had it written down. He wrote it down. And he gives reference to Israel. Now, here's where you go, okay, what about it? The Bible says that. Yeah, it does. But historians said that Israel didn't even come into existence at that point yet. So, those who said, well, Israel wasn't really in Egypt like you, the Bible says in that time. Israel didn't even exist till later on. That's what the critics said. But they find this and go, okay, you're wrong. It's just like the Bible said. How about the, the writing of Moses? You know that for centuries, and especially in the last, um, you know, couple hundred years, especially, um, the, uh, the scholars said that Moses could not have written the Pentateuch. He couldn't have written the Pentateuch because in that day, people were, um, there, there was no literacy. They, they didn't, there was no writing. Nobody wrote in those days and nobody read. It was pre-literate is the way they say it. So they said, this is an obvious situation where the Bible is bad history. Many years later, however, archaeological digs and covered tablets, scrolls, and writing instruments that clearly show that a good portion of Moses' entire culture was literate. In fact, quite intelligent and sophisticated. And all the secular historians could do was go, well, oops, sorry. Maybe the Bible isn't such bad history after all. What about the Babylonian Chronicles? For, year, for, for the years 605 to, to 597 BC, the Babylonian Chronicles, chronal, chron, they, um, they, they have writings about Nebuchadnezzar's campaigns, his war campaigns, as he went out and defeated enemies. Interesting, it says that Jerusalem was conquered... In, not in 597 B.C. In fact, the Babylonian Chronicles gives us an exact date. March 16th, 597 B.C. as the fall of Jerusalem. Now, the Babylonian Chronicle was right. How do I know the Bible said it? Now, I know that archaeologists will go, well, the, here's proof first, which is fine. It's 
what we have is we have this constant support. This one I love. This is one of my favorites. It, it's, it's the unrolled silver cative Heinen scripture, Heinen scripture, script, uh, scroll. And it, it contains the priestly blessing. Actually, it's two scrolls that were made of silver. They were rolled up, and then you roll them out, and they're about six feet long. And, and what was, con what was con contained in, a, in this was a portion of Scripture from Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. And it's the priestly blessing. It's, it goes back 800 years before Jesus. And what does this scroll say? It's the priestly blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. What's really interesting about this scroll, it actually has, it actually has the reference to the name of God and the pronunciation of the name of God. Jehovah. It goes back 800 years before, before Christ. There's the tell, tell Dan Steele. With the house of David inscription, testifying to the history of David and the reality of his dynasty, it was found in 1993. You know, do you know that critics actually said that David didn't exist? That he had no kingdom? Then there were those who said he had this small kingdom, just nothing. Well, all the discoveries have found quite the opposite of what the critics say. And this one that has the inscription testifying of the history of David, the reality of his dynasty. Well, those are some interesting ones, and there's hundreds of those. But then last year, listen, last year alone, in spite of COVID, many of the archaeological digs last year were halted because of COVID. But in spite of that, some amazing things have been found. There is the Shema Bula, which is a clay impression from the seal of the servant of, of the Israelite king, Jeroboam II. They found this, and uh, you can read about it in 2 Kings 13, 13. Back, it goes back to the 8th century BC, and, and, um, and proof... Contrary to historical, uh, you know, secular historic historians, proof that, in fact, King Jeroboam II was, in fact, King Jeroboam II, that he existed, in spite of historians saying that was made-up story as well. There's the Israel Relief. It depicts seven Assyrian gods before Sagon II. And um, scholars said um, King Sagon did not exist. According to the scripture, that was not true. And now no one tries to argue that. Um, New Testament reference. A stone bearing the name of Sergius Paulus, discovered near Bethsaidian Antioch. And he was, he was the proconsul of Cyprus. How do we know? New Testament says that. Acts chapter 13, verse 7. You can read about that. Verse 6 and 7 together is better as you read about who he was. People said that he didn't exist. There's no reference to that. Well, it was discovered. 
uh, on that tablet that he did exist. Bet uh, Shemesh Synagogue. Do you know that historians have, uh, up until recent time, b- believed that there were no synagogues in Israel? No synagogues in the first century. That they really didn't have synagogues, even though the Bible says so. Well, what they found was a synagogue, but it's not the first synagogue. There's nine synagogues they've already found in, in, in Israel already. There, so, but this was just proof. This was probably one of the synagogues that Jesus went and preached. Jesus went and preached in synagogues. So if Jesus went and preached in synagogues and there were no synagogues, then who's right? The historians or the Bible? Well, the archaeologists ended that argument. The Bible, of course. This is the way it worked. This is how it worked. You can see the pic. Um, Albeth Makkah. Oh, okay. No, let me go back. The first temple weight that was discovered last year, two shekel weight. You see that? You see the two marks on the left side? Um, as I'm facing it, and you're, you're facing it's left side. Um, see those, those two marks? That means that this was a two-shekel weight. This was a weight that was found um, for, from the first temple era before Christ. And it was found under some of the ruins of the expansion of the second temple. And that's where they found it. And, um, and, and it, it shows um, how um, this period under in Jerusalem, found under the second temple expansion, that there was a first temple era. You know, just one of the proofs. There's a Canaanite temple in Israel that dates back um, to the kings when the Bible said Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and worshiped Baal. You have support for that. You have Abel Beth Makkah, which is ancient Hebrew inscription dating to the 10th century B.C. when the Bible said Israel had a strong presence in the city, even though the critics said the Jews weren't there for several hundred years later. Again, the liberal minimalists, is how they're referred to, scholars, were wrong. Like I said, the, the liberal or the minimal, minimal, minimalists actually believe they, they kind of narrow everything down so that your time frame is off, but then it keeps coming out. What you find here is an inscription in the 10th century that, that, that gives proof that this city um, had a pro- strong presence. Um, Jews were there. If you read 2 Samuel 2, 14 through 19, you see that the Jews were there. The critic says no Jews could have been there for, for a couple hundred years later, you know, skewing the time frame. No, it's just like the Bible says. Just like the Bible says. They found last year um, in Judea uh, columns, heads that date back to 2,700 years before, I mean 2,700 years ago, 700 years before Christ. And then on March 2021, this year, some of you know of this finding. It was found in March 
fragments that came from the scroll that was first discovered in the so-called horror cave. South of En Gedi, in Israeli territory, um, that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, written in Greek by two scribes, its, its date, dating period from the Bar Kakhoba revolt almost 1,900 years ago when the Jewish rebels fled with their families and hid from the Romans in caves. Now, they found these fragments. They're just fragments. Um, they, they date back 1,900 years, these fragments, and, um, and they're, of the, out of the, they're fragments from the book of Zechariah and Nahum. I had a friend of mine um, who, who, um, who uh, said that I think God is saying something to us. Because if you read these, the, the, these two scriptures, like they found them now. Why are they find them now? And these two scriptures have come to us. Is God trying to say something to the church and say something to the world? Well, this is what it says. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, it says, These are the things you shall do. Speak, speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath, for all things are things that I hate, says the Lord. Whoa. Have, he's saying, have, get, have right judgment, truth, and peace. Don't, you know, don't, don't think evil of your, in your heart against your neighbor. And, and do not love false oath. There's so much lying going on. He says, speak the truth. He says, God says, these are the things I hate. And then in Nahum 1.5, it says, mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves at, its pre at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. It speaks of judgment. It speaks of God's judgment. I think it speaks of a time, I think, that's coming on the earth in our future. I believe Jesus is going to come back, and judgment is going to happen. Now, the, the Bible is great history. And if, if you, all you have to do is wait. Now, understand this, that archaeology, um, the discoveries of our, that uh, we have found in, the, in Israel and, and other places around the world uh, that refer to the Bible, every time they dig up something, they do something to support the Bible. And now it's coming at a quicker pace. Right now, archaeologists will say, we have not even dug 1% of what we plan on unfolding. Not 1%. I can't wait. As we see more and more of the truth of the scriptures, the support of the scriptures, when someone says the Bible is bad history, they really don't understand it. They really don't. Now, for instance, and I don't want to pick on anybody specifically, but for instance, the Book of Mormon 
the Book of Mormon, um, it, as many people have put their faith in and confidence, but it fails history terribly. In fact, the Smithsonian Institute studied the Book of Mormon. They issued an official statement declaring it devoid of any historical reliability whatsoever. That, in other words, in the Book of Mormon, when they mention a river that existed in one civilization, it describes there is no record of that river or mountain or coinage or city or people group, not one shred of historical evidence that would tether it to historical reality, not one. Now, I'd have a hard time with putting my faith in a book that gives us all kinds of history and there's not even one shred of evidence for that history. I'd struggle with that. But the Bible gives us real clarity. The Bible proves over and over again that it is historically accurate. Now, you would, might say, well, okay, it's a good history book. It's accurate. It's accurate more than any other ancient history book because it never fails. It's always right on target. What does that give it? Well, it gives you at least a trust, even if you don't believe it's the inspired word of God, it gives you at least a trust in the fact that it's truthful. It gives you truth. So it's truthful in every way that we could, in fact, check the evidence of it. It's truthful. And understand, remember, when you're talking about the Bible, you're talking about 40 different authors writing on different continents and different nations over a 1,500-year period. And all of them synchronize and have perfectly placed down accurate history. That also speaks to the fact that maybe there wasn't 40 different authors completely. There was really just one. Now, there are 40 different human authors. That's clear. There's no, there's no argument about that. But there is one spiritual author that pulls all that together. And that's the Holy Spirit guiding and directing these as they're giving. Now, I said the proof is like a thousand different paper cuts. His, the, the history argument is one of those. It cuts pretty deep. It cuts pretty deep. You cannot, you know, honestly, you cannot honestly throw out all the evidence that is found. And I've only scratched the surface. There are so many others. There, there are things, so many things that the Bible said were true and, and historians said that's not true and, they, and, and, and archaeological finding found human beings are leaders, even, even, um, e even emperors that, that historians said did, never existed, then they find out, oops, how do you miss an emperor, right, of a nation? Well, you can't. And, and as discovery comes, it just keeps, it keeps pouring in. The Bible is historically true. But it's just one of those arguments. And over the next 
few, um, uh, you know, next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the other ones. We're going to talk about those, even some that are even stronger than the historical argument about the validity of the Bible. And, and the reason I want to do that is because I want you, if you haven't, I want you to settle once and for all, this is God's book. I want that to be settled in your mind, in your heart. I don't want to be a little bit of doubt about that. Because if you have that, and if you truly believe it, and I would say this, I think there's, there's a proof of whether you believe this is, in fact, without a doubt, God's inspired word, that every word in this book was inspired by God. Now, if you truly believe that, then... The proof of that is you will do everything you can to get to know what's in this book. And you won't make excuses. Like, you know, I don't like to read or there's so, we live in a day, it's the easiest time in history to get to know this book. You see? But also, we need to know this. We need to know the reasons why. We're in a different era now. Our world has changed. And it's fine if you say, I believe the Bible and I believe it by faith and that's great. But you will come up, you have a, a, a great opportunity to share the good news about Christ in a world that won't accept simply, I believe it and that settles it. Now, I believe if somebody really reads this Bible, this is what happened to me. I didn't have all the reasons why to believe the Bible when I read it. I got saved. I was told it was God's word. I said, well, if God's got a book, I want to read it. And I fell in love with it. But I know the case is that there are many young people today who have had that conviction. They say, I believe the Bible because they were taught it. They were raised in it. I believe the Bible. And they go off to high school, they go off to college, somebody throws a wrench in, in all of that, and all of a sudden their confidence in the Bible starts to wane. And it starts to deteriorate. They thought their faith was strong enough just because they believed the Bible, but because they couldn't answer some simple questions. And we might not be able to answer all questions. And I wouldn't expect all of us to do that. I don't think we're all going to be, you know, scholars and uh, all of that. But I do believe we should have a basic kind of understanding that we can actually stand when these arguments that are given that are false. There, this argument about the history, his, uh, you know, about the accuracy of the Bible's history is still being flaunted out there as if it's true. Even though all the, the new findings are just more and more just annihilating that argument. But there are those who aren't aware of what's going on. And they're throwing it out. And then there's, there's young Christians, or, and I, they don't have to be young, but there are Christians who once, you know, one of those arguments comes at them, they don't know what to do. I was, um, there was a, um, I came across this young, young man. His name was Nabil uh, Qureshi. And uh, Nabil's written, uh, written a book. It's pretty, pretty interesting. But um, he, Nabil, his story is, he was raised in a Muslim family. And um, he was raised, his, in fact, his father 
was in fact a, um, a missionary. And, um, and so Nabil in his home, he was raised in a very strict Muslim, you know, lifestyle. And by the time he was five years old, he had memorized the Quran. And, and started to study in, in, in levels, prayed five times a day, um, studied, um, studied Muslim um, apologetics, knew it well. When he was in junior high and high school, he would meet Christians. And he would, in, in fact, use his Muslim, uh, you know, apologetics to attack Christians and to, to convert them. Actually, he was pretty effective. He would come across a Christian and ask them hard questions that they never thought of in the scripture. And, and as they wouldn't be able to answer it, he would be able to answer because he had done his homework. Because he believed what he believed very strongly. He was convinced the Quran was given by God. You see, he understood that and he believed it and he lived it out. And when he was in college, he was on the debate team. He's a good, was a very good um, argue and communicator and, and had studied that. And one day they uh, had gone on a trip uh, to do a debate and then afterward, the students all decided to go, you know, have some fun, go party. Well, the bill decided, you know, as a, he, he said, I can't be part of that. They're going to be drinking and doing all that. I can't be part of that. So he stayed back. While he was walking around, he saw one of the other students who also stayed back, David Wood. David was sitting in a chair and he was reading his Bible. David was a Christian. What Nabil didn't know is David actually was, had been an atheist. And his conversion was one out of skepticism. So for him to come to Christ, he had to have enough information. And he came across somebody who had taught him, was really versed in the scriptures and understanding, and was able to help him through all of his doubts to come to Christ. So he had been well-versed, well-understood. And so when... When Nabil came, he approached David while he's reading the Bible, and he said to him, he gave him one of his lines. You know, the Bible is unreliable. And he expected David to go, you know, um, unreliable, and he's going to tell him why. Instead, David said, responded, oh, really? What parts? All of it or part of it? He said, and Nabil said, it, it kind of, all of a sudden, he didn't have an answer. And then as he thought through, they begin to talk. And this Christian young man um, said to, to Nabil, why don't we research this? And because both of them really have a, a desire for truth, they decided that they would study together. They end up, um, you know, getting in the dorm together and for the first year, they spent a year studying the claims of Christ and the Bible. They did the Christian one first. Looked at the, the negatives and the positives and why you could, you know, what, what's the, the facts of the scriptures and so forth and of Jesus. And then they spent a year studying the Quran and the arguments for and against. And after those two years... Nabil became a Christian. Because as he saw it, one of the more difficult things in his life 
that was a difficult challenge for him. Folks, we live in a different world. If you say something to a young person, they just take a second and Google it to see if you're telling the truth or not. To know if what you're saying is real. We live in a very skeptical world. And in a world that is not, um, is not necessarily supportive of our Christian beliefs. We have to know why we believe what we believe. We have to get better at it. I'm not saying you have to be a scholar, as I said. You don't have to know all the details. But you should be able to at least get into the conversation with a little bit of you know, knowledge that says, no, the Bible is incredibly accurate. Archaeolo the, the archaeologists have been proving the Bible over and over and over again. Now, you might not be able to get the details, but you can Google you can find them. And, and at the end of this, I'm going to give you a list of resources that you can look things up on your own. You can find them. Books, if, for those of you who are really hungry for this stuff that really want to get into it. For those of you who just go, you know, just give me enough to be able to give simple answers. We'll do that as well. The Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. In Psalms 119, 105, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you. You have God's word. If you have a Bible, you have God's breathed inspiration that is for you. And you can be confident in that. Next week, we'll talk about prophecy and science and get as far as we can in all of those interesting parts of, of this thousand paper cuts. We're going to prove it. If you are watching or if you're here and you've not given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you. Just invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You can simply say, Jesus, come into my life. I invite you to be my Savior. I believe that you died for my sins. You were buried and conquered death. I believe you died for my sins, so I'm asking you to cleanse my soul from all of my sins and help me to follow you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. If you prayed that, let us know. We want to help you get started in your walk with God together. Are you ready to worship the God of this book? Huh? Let's do that. Let's close and worship. I want to be close, close to your side, where heaven is real and death is alive. I want to hear voices of angels above, singing as one, hallelujah, holy, holy God.
shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell nor any who can stand God bless you, church. Be blessed as you go. We'll see you next week. The mountains shake before you. The demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power.